Welcome to the Michigan Youth Sports Podcast. I'm David Fedor. I'm a husband and a father of five kids. I also run a travel baseball organization, and I'm the head coach of a JV high school baseball team in Michigan. The purpose of this podcast is to discuss the ecosystem of youth sports. Please feel free to contact us with any topics you would like to see discussed. Lastly, please subscribe and tell your friends about our podcast. All right, we're here with Jay Fitzgerald, the J-Man. Hey. So, Jay, we are part of a unique little club here, and uh, each year we go to the Highland uh, State Recreation Area, and we play a vintage baseball game that you organize, and it's, uh, you know, this year you were nice, this past year, in 2019, you were kind enough to invite me over, and and I had had a really good time, and then I know we've talked about kind of the, the history of it. And so I want to get it on, you know, on this podcast to share with others out there. So tell me a little bit about this vintage game. Tell me about how you came about getting into it and and then organizing it and, and going from there. Oh, thanks. I guess the, the neatest thing about it is that it's open to and enjoyed by people that may have not played a lot of baseball before, but there's likewise a very passionate group of people that appreciate the old methods of playing ball that go way back in the day. Um, the double day myth is, is correctly a myth. Baseball evolved over time, but in the late 1860s, the civil war brought thousands of people together for not necessarily good reasons, but at the end of the conflict, large volumes of men and women went back to their hometowns around the country and brought this baseball game back to their small homes and and towns all around America. The sport definitely took off and spread from there. And it it basically is held as a a living tribute and a reenactment sport all the way to modern times nowadays. Uh, I moved to Michigan in the early 90s, and it seemed like kind of a uh, a new a new state resident requirement to go to Greenfield Village and to learn about the Ford Motor Company history and um, to see all the cool and amazing old buildings that have been collected by Henry and now more modern people. And when we were there, we learned about and saw this vintage baseball program that they do on a weekly basis. And uh, it became an interest to me, but I never thought that it would out of the blue evolve into something that I'd actually participate in. Years later, after settling down with my wife, Ava, and having my son, Jack, born, I started to volunteer at a local Highland State Recreation Area that you mentioned. And our volunteer group thought it'd be cool to have a festival every year, not only to raise awareness and to provide entertainment for people, but also to um, to kind of uh, draw the potential uh, people that would be interested in coming back regularly and volunteers and fundraising and all kinds of things. One of our members thought it'd be fun to try this vintage baseball game. And right away, I'm like, oh, that sounds cool because I've been a baller and a baseball kind of guy my whole life and have enjoyed it passion, passionately. So to have a chance to play, I knew it was going to be huge. They met 
and uh, invited a ball player from the Rochester Grangers team in Rochester, Michigan. They play at the Van Hoosen Farm every year. They uh, invited one gentleman to come over and hang out with us for an hour or two and tell us about the game and the sport that, that he's involved in in league play. We explained that we wanted to do just kind of a once a year, I guess you'd call it an exhi- exhibition game. And it worked out really well because, as you can imagine, recruiting ballplayers to be on a traveling or a regional team is not an easy thing to do. But gathering up people that enjoy baseball to play for three or four hours on a nice summer day in August every year just for for the day. And then we take a cool old team photo with everybody all dressed up in their old outfits and stuff. Uh, that was kind of easy because right away, friends of mine that knew baseball, now, any, when, anybody I've talked to would go, yeah, I'll play. What year did you start this? Oh, geez. I, I actually brought some notes with me and can't recall the specific, but it was, I think we'd be at 10 years ago or something like that. So it's been a while. We've been doing it once a year for 10 or more years until the famous pandemic has hit. But So true or false, uh, until I joined the team, you didn't win a game. <laughs> That's a fact. Okay. So <laughs> just using... <laughs> Standard. I can see where you're going. Standard, you know, logical conclusions. Mm-hmm. Then I join the team and and you're undefeated. That's amazing. Okay. Absolutely. Why not? I, I just know. wanted to get that in there. Uh, <laughs> I see the, the connection. For the record, no credit to the other guys that all showed up for the first time that day. <laughs> now, what, what team did we play? Tony last and everybody. In the in the earliest of days of this event, we realized it would be important to have an opponent on a regular basis, and we tried to call around and get other actual league teams to join us, but they would always have a conflicting game in their schedule for the weekend that we wanted to do our Haven Hill Festival at the park. Um, so our team, which we aptly named the Haven Hill Barnstormers because we're working on an old barn building at the park, the uh, our team decided to be smart to put a notice out in the paper saying we're looking for ball players, and we had an underlying motive of forming an opponent that would join us for that one day a year. And one day I got a phone call from a guy, and his name was Ron Vradenberg, and he said, hey, I hear you guys are playing vintage ball. And he said, I got some players. And I said, that's great. You want to join our team? He goes, no, no, I got, I have a team. And I'm like, you're kidding me. He goes, yeah, I can field a nine, which is a the vintage term for a ball club. He goes, I can field a nine plus and be there to play you guys. So we thought it was great. And this would be two or three years into our, um, our uh, efforts at the park. And sure enough, this guy showed up one day and he began introducing his daughters and his sons and their wives and their husbands, and maybe even nephews and cousins. And it turns out that the Vradenberg clan joined us for a day and became what we officially called the Gatehouse Family Nine. And we've been playing against this other uh, group of passionate baseball players ever since. They're outstanding. And uh, until the recent season where you joined us, David, uh, we had never beat them before. So... (laughs) Hey, thanks, Tony no. Christina and the other guys that were there for the first time, too. Uh, so on, to go through some of the, you know, we call it vintage baseball. But for those of you that uh, are those listening, explain some of the differences between yeah. what they know on TV as 
you know, modern day baseball versus the vintage uh, baseball. Yeah, sure. There's really two major differences that uh, let's call them categories. One would be equipment and style of play and the actual way that the game difference differs. But there's also a very important difference, I guess you'd say, in the spirit of the game, because the intention is good times and outdoor exercise and propriety and no dispute and low spread, low stress and the uh, enjoyment of of the cranks, which is the nickname for the fans, and the uh, the intention of spreading the good word and the enjoyment of baseball in a way that cannot even be imagined nowadays. The, this spirit, uh, down at Greenfield Village, you'll see signs that say, no cussing, no spitting, no gloves. And that's become a moniker, the fact that the game in the 1860s was played before baseball gloves were invented. And uh, our game involves using a ball that's slightly larger and a little bit softer than the modern day baseball. But thank God for that, because uh, we throw it around the diamond at 60 to 80 miles an hour with no gloves on. And uh, people who've never seen the game are always amazed at that. I'd say after an inning inning or two, you know, you kind of forget that it hurts a little bit. You end up enjoying it and the ball gets soft as you beat it up, et cetera. But I think it's important for folks and, and especially younger kids and, and, a, and adults that would like to teach the spirit of baseball, the true underlying spirit of baseball, is that it's supposed to be an enjoy, enjoyable uh, gentleman and, and ladies game uh, that's played with good intention and good spirit and sportsmanship and fairness. And uh, the the you know uh, bad behaviors of modern day baseball are not only not present, but uh, in reenactment style, if you spit or you roll up your sleeves or you say a cuss word, you will be fined by the by the quote unquote arbiter or umpire of the day for poor behavior and booed by the crowd. So that's pretty amazing. That's so the spirit things, difference. You so know? one of the things I, I I thought was interesting was a little different was. There is not really a strike zone. You ask the pitcher as a batter, you ask the pitcher to throw in a certain zone. Yeah. And so, again, it's in the spirit of it of where I couldn't imagine a major league hitter going, hey, throw it right down the middle for me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? So now you're out there, you're like, oh, okay, can mm-hmm. I get a little bit high? Or if you like a little bit outside, and you, you guide them on where to throw it, and they are – obligated or they, you know, have a gentleman's agreement to throw it in that zone. Right, right, exactly. And that, you know, that leads into the style of play differences and the equipment differences uh, uh, between vintage baseball of the 1860s versus nowadays. Um, The intention was to receive a pitch from the hurler, uh, the nickname for the pitcher. The hurler was supposed to put the ball in a, in a location where the striker or the batter could indeed put the ball in play easily and well, on a on a pitch by pitch pitch basis, the intention of the game was to have it moving, to have action constantly, not for a batter to be standing around waiting for a perfect pitch. Uh, I was doing some reading recently, and it was explaining in one of the earliest of rule books this uh, the Beatles dime ball player rule book of the 1860s. It actually said it is of poor sportsmanship when there is a a, uh, a runner on first base, first sack. For the batter to stand idle, hoping that his his ball player will steal second before he decides to swing at perfectly good pitches. And it showed and reserved the right for the arbiter or umpire to indeed call a strike should there be this this, uh, uh, improper and ungentlemanly tactic of ignoring perfectly good pitches until 
his running opponent made it to second. I thought that was kind of cool because I'm sure somewhere in there evolved the the modern day concept of let's just have them call balls and strikes, right? Yeah. But back in the day, the intention was, my good sir, throw me the ball right here so I can strike it well and run to first sack. So it's kind of cool. I think it's amazing. There's a ton of little finesse moments like that. One of the biggest items as a follow-up, of course, is that if a ball is hit in the air, it can be considered an out even if it bounces once. So that's kind of neat to watch. And some of the experienced teams, man, they're good at it. They'll be watching a fly ball come at them and they'll be looking at the ground for potholes and whether the ground is even or not and ready to decide whether or not they're going to catch it in the air or indeed have it bound once and then grab it, which is easier after you practice it a little bit. So that's kind of cool. Now, what are the... uh what do the bases look like versus the modern day? Bases? Oh yeah, that's amazing. Pick, picture doubled over canvas that's actually sewed into a square shape, and it's supposed to cover a minimum of one foot square. the The old documents showed that the doubling over of the canvas was to prevent the the spikes in in the shoes of the day from poking holes. It also recommends either filling with with cotton or uh, I think horsehair or hay because sand would make them just too heavy, for example. They also then had a crosswise one-inch thick leather buckle set, and the buckles would go around the entire bag so that the sack could be affixed to the ground in the position uh, uh, of the proper distance. And by the way, 90 feet since the 1860, 90 feet. So no change there. No change there, isn't that something? Now, (laughs) the field that we played on, it's kind of like uh, modern day baseball where every field is a little bit different. It's not a, you know, particularly the same, you know, you got like Fenway, it's got the, you know, the green monster yeah. and the Ivy and Wrigley. And so that the play, the field that we played on, one of the rules was if they went into the, you know, a certain area, uh, woods, then mm-hmm. it was, um, either a double or a home, home run. Yeah. Yeah. On, you know how it was. So is, is, each park, like, you know, the Greenfield Village, they all have their own little nuanced uh, rules like that. Yeah, absolutely. No, that's funny because th- these are the orig- origins of that term ground rules. Ground rules. The ground rules of each ballpark had to be stipulated because if you played, say, you know, up in Flint against the Flint Ball Club and you went on Old Man Johnson's farm and he had a barn in left and a hayfield in right – et cetera, et cetera. You had to talk about it ahead of time so that you didn't have these repeating disputes of, wait a minute, if the ball goes off the roof and I caught it, is the, you know, the, the batsman or the striker out or is it a dead ball or what? So at the Haven Hill Goose Meadow ball field in Highland State Rec area, we've stipulated that right field, which is a forested wall, if you will, and easy to reach, it's fairly close in right field. We had to call that a double or a foul ball. And we've, we've changed the rules in certain years in order to prevent strikers from just always smashing the ball into right all the time and taking off. And then we joke about the poison ivy that's out there as well. One of my favorite moments at our ball field, though, is in left, the the DNR, who is our partner in the venue, uh, uh, with our agreement, we allow the grass to grow. And it slopes away and down a hill in left field. So picture uh, uh, adult ball players running after a well-struck ball, disappearing into three-foot grass, 
and then emerging with the ball to come back into the field to play and and hurl the ball back into the field <laughs> to to attempt to get a runner out because we've stipulated that if it goes in the tall grass it's a fair ball you better go get it and i think that's really cool rochester grangers i believe it's an oak tree in right in fair territory right in the middle of right field what and if the if ball they strike that if they hit it and it is caught it is an out they actually call that tree in play I think that's can amazing. It can they hit the tree, bounce once, and then they catch it? Some not? rules that I read said that it was common to allow a tree or a structure like a barn to be in play for either a one bound or a catch out. I uh, can't remember exactly what the Granger's rule is. but No, I think there was some differences really cool. as far as like tagging up. Uh, that's the hardest one for me to remember every year. And yeah, that yeah. one was uh, there was you can tag up a – there's certain rules where you can and cannot tag up, right? Yeah, Am exactly. Am that correct? No, you're right on that one. And yet that's another discretionary one that we've adjusted sometimes over the years. There is an intention of tagging up. There, there is no, you know, no free running, if you will. But I believe the bounded ball bounce versus the caught in the air is the key to that play. And right now I've kind of forgotten what the exact rule is. But there is a tagging up thing or elsewise you'd have runners just taken off every time the ball is struck. You know, yeah. so, yeah. but uh, there's a lot of little finesse rules like that that are quite humorous. The double play still exists, for example. Um, uh, there, in the earliest of days, was a plugging of the runner rule that was acceptable. Early baseball, like in modern day wiffle ball, I believe. You can feel the ball and you could throw the ball and hit the runner, actually hit the, the runner, and he would be out. But that rule has been gone for a long time. So doesn't so. that go against the gentlemanly play? <laughs> there you uh, go. Probably why it was eliminated <laughs> early in the game, right? I wouldn't even be want, want to be hit by a, a, an old-fashioned baseball. It's one of the things I, thought, I think you did a, do a great <laughs> job with that is you have invited a number of younger kids, yeah. you know, 10, 12, 14 years old. And it's funny. I was watching them and they – uh, they just picked it up and they mm-hmm. ran with it and they really had a good time with it because it's a different, now like you mentioned, it's a different uh, size bat, uh, shape bat, different size ball. Yeah. I mean, you know, the bases are different, the rules are different and, mm-hmm. you know, they just love being out there and, and being part of it and um, you did a great job of you know, making them feel yeah. uh, welcome and sure. Um, so, you know, from, a, you know, over the years, if you had a lot of you know, variance in, in ages, you know, old, old, young, in between? That's a good question. I got to admit, there's definitely some appreciation of life and sports as we get older that grows. When we look back upon the days when we were the young ball player uh, on the ball field playing at our peak of our game, uh, there's no question that our team has a lot of older uh, guys and ladies supporting us as well. But the neat thing is that when you introduce this novel version of the game, novel, ironically, because it was the original way back in the day, uh, we've seen kids just light up. We pause the game in the third or fourth inning every year, and we allow little ones from age four all the way to teenagers to come up and strike the ball and run the bases really quick. And we make that a point because we want to encourage families to to attend, to bring the little ones. And then I take a really strong interest in trying to convey to kids how you can play with class and be a sportsman-like figure 
uh, and remembered that those were the origins of the game. Believe me, there's an underlying competitiveness that is very strong, but it is not at the forefront of a, of a modern vintage ball player's mind. It's something that is that is held as a respectful way of being a good ball player, but the intention for the day is to be gentlemanly and to be proper. Um, one year, I recall one of our players striking the ball deep to center, and the opponent ran easily similar to a Willie May sketch and over the head caught the ball. The game stopped, and the players on our team went out and congratulated the opponent on an amazing baseball play. You will never see that in modern day Major League Baseball. The version nowadays might be a tip of the cap, right. but the game literally stopped and players went out to say, man, that was fantastic. You know, it's, yeah. I think that is really cool. You know, it's really deep. It kind of brings it brings a um, spirit of the game back that's probably been missing for a long time, you know. So, so what else <laughs> uh, should people out there know about about this and um i think you do a really good job of you know hyping this up and obviously you're passionate about it and you know you you make others passionate about it but what else um you know can you say about you know, yeah. this uh, this event and and sure. the history of it well i guess i'll i'll tell you right now i encourage anybody if you come across a, a bunch of people out playing the baseball or baseball in the middle of a field when you're driving by somewhere and it doesn't look like they have a modern day backstop and maybe there's some guy walking around with no umpire and he's wearing a top hat or something and they have old long wooden bats, I'd encourage you to hit the brakes, stop, park your car and go watch because you're going to absolutely be thrilled at seeing early baseball. Secondly, every year at our state park, we're going to hold the event. This is the year of the COVID-19 pandemic. Unfortunately, our festival was canceled. It's an exceptional year. And uh, we, for the first time, didn't get to play our game, but we have the full intention of doing it again next summer. We're open to anybody who wants to play because there's no team restricted size. It's an exhibition game. If I have 18 guys, we'll rotate everybody in and let everybody play. We then have a great, uh, well-done, large group photo of everybody wearing the old-time uniforms with striped hats, long sleeve shirts, a bandana. Uh, uh, seeing everybody wear suspenders is awesome. The old style of baseball uh, uniform. We'll do that and we give out that uh, photo as a free digital copy to everybody who comes out for the day. Uh, picture also a, a full brass live band playing Take Me Out to the Ball Game uh, in between innings and oftentimes throughout the game. I think that's really enjoyable and adds a lot of spirit to the game. And then of course, we make sure there will be a hot dog somewhere in the field for, for a fundraiser for everybody to have hot dogs and have some of that classic old baseball spirit. So I, I think it's been a great thing over time and it'll never end as long as I'm on the planet because it's just wonderful. So. Thanks. First of all, thanks for doing that and putting together. It is. It's a lot of fun, and um, mm -hmm. I'm thankful that you uh, you invited me along. So, one question I ask everybody is: All right, uh, if you can sit down and and have uh, a meal with three sports people any throughout history, whether they're uh, you know mythical or uh, real, or if they're you know currently alive, passed away, who would those three be? Got to go to baseball because that's been my sport of choice for my for my life. Um, I was a little kid standing on a plastic seat in Angel Stadium in Anaheim, California, 
at an early age. And all I remember was the crowd around me, all adults standing and cheering. And in later years, my dad informed me that I had seen Nolan Ryan throw a no-hitter. So I would love to uh, talk to to that guy over time and just speak to him about his amazing career. An easy pick for a lot of people, but for me, extra special because I grew up as an Angels fan in California. My dad had been transferred there after the war. I was born years later, and we were some of the early attendees at what was the brand new Angel Stadium in Anaheim. And I got to see Nolan Ryan play as an Angel before he moved to Texas. So so that's, that's an easy one for sure. After that... Uh, Rod Carew, I want to talk about a guy whose intention at the plate was to hit the ball and put it in play, shoot it between some fielders and get on base every time. Uh, uh, it'd be easy to pick a home run hitter and talk about talk to some guy that launches the ball deep every once in a while. But I want to speak to to a, uh, a player like Rod Carew or maybe even a, a Pete Rose or somebody and speak to them about the ability to put the ball in play all the time and, and be you know, a factor in scoring runs, not necessarily with the long ball. Um, a third player, that would be tough because uh, I'm on the spot. You know what? I didn't say player. I said yeah, a figure, sports. a figure a related manager, at all. An owner. Hmm, uh, interesting. A, um, you know, a, a play-by-play person. A You know, I can I pick a person that maybe doesn't have a name? I'll pick a, a, a figure. Sure. I'd like to talk to a manager of one of the uh, American women's baseball teams that occurred back in the in the, uh, in, the war. In, in the World Wars. Basically, I've yeah, I've met League of their own yeah, I've met stuff. one of the players, but it would be really interesting to speak with one of the managerial figures and ask them questions about the background, the intent, and of course the spirit of the ball players of the day, which exhibited all the talents of male baseball players. Not to mention their courage for getting out there and running around, you know, and traveling across the country to play baseball. I think that'd be neat. A player interview is easy, but I think it'd be neat to speak to a manager and ask them what's behind this whole thing and what's the backstory and tell me about your boss and his boss's boss and learn about the organization of pro women's baseball. I think that'd be cool. Um, So I know you do a lot in the community, you know, both yourself, um, your wife and you know obviously your son and uh that's one of the things i really respect about you is giving back to the community and and so talk about some of the charities that you are involved in you already mentioned the um you know the highland state park recreation area what other charities what are your favorite charities and you know where do you um you know uh support and and, and volunteer your time what's near and dear to your heart well, there's no doubt that the Friends of Highland Rec at the state park have been, uh, uh, I guess you'd say, one of the groups that really got me started in charitable activities. It's a it's an outdoor out, outlet. I'm an outdoors uh, person, not not to mention my passion about the sport of baseball, but I enjoy uh, um, the wilderness. I've been a backpacker for many years. Uh, having grown up in California, I had time in the national parks and have done so all across the country over the years. So I still very much appreciate the historical value of the state park group that I'm a part of and their their outdoor and uh, wilderness efforts. And then um, this this may seem kind of uh, flattering and easy, but there's no question that my newfound involvement with my son in the Commerce Cannons Youth Baseball Organization <laughs> has to be now my my favorite charity organization. Um, 
But I'll tell you what, to find a group of organized people that are passionate about the spirit of baseball, teaching the underlying values that the game can bring, and not just focusing on, I guess you'd say, the money-oriented success story, uh, win a college career, win an MLB contract focus that appears to be you know, uh, existing in a lot of sports programs across the country. That's been really important to me. So it was real easy for me to bring my photo and video hobby to the organization. The fact that I enjoy doing websites and to uh, help the uh, Commerce Cannons has been perfect. And then uh, who knew that I'd end up uh, helping to manage uh, the 12U team for next year and with an opportunity to go to Cooperstown, which I'm, of course, very excited about. So so for now, those are my charities that, that I right, care so the most about. Gonna, How's that? We're going <laughs> to – so with all the, all the podcasts, we – we're going to, um, you know, we believe in giving back as well. So we're going to donate to the Friends of Highland Recreation Area uh, awesome. on your behalf. I know you do already. Um, it's not, uh, you know, $2.8 million or anything. But, uh, <laughs> no problem. It'll, uh, it's just a way that we could, you know, number one, support other organizations and, you know, show uh, or encourage others to do the same thing to, to give back to their community. So no, that's great. Um, thank thank you. you for, um, you know, obviously everything you've done for, uh, for you know the different organizations that we've been affiliated with, um, but thank you for inviting me to the uh, the vintage baseball game. For sure, we're talking man. about it today because uh, seriously, it's been you know uh, definitely in the last year one of the highlights. Uh, oh, you betcha! A unique experience, and mm-hmm. and I think the fact that you only do it one time a year mm-hmm. makes it that much more appealing. It, it's more special. Yeah, right? yeah for not, sure. Yeah. It's not happening, you know, a couple mm-hmm. times a week. It's not, you know, 75 of these games that you're, you're, you're participating in. So it makes it, uh, even more that, uh, you know, something to look forward to. So. Yeah, for sure. Let's get more kids out there. I'd like to teach them more about the true spirit of the game and make sure they're leaving and carrying that classy behavior onto the modern day ball field. <laughs> Absolutely. I'd love, I'd love to see that more of that. So, All right. Well, thanks. Thanks, Jay. Thanks for joining. Cool. Thank you. This podcast is brought to you by one of our sponsors, Greater Michigan Orthopedics. Give Dr. Hemming a call like I did for my shoulder. Give them a call at 810-953-0500. Zero, zero. Greater Michigan Orthopedics. Hey, man, no barnstormers. Up to bat. That one's in the weeds.